Radhika Jones, editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching a Game of Thrones. I'm Benny Fair, senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Benny Fair, chief critic Richard Lawson. This is it, Richard. We did it. We counted down. We're finishing up. 15 episode mm-hmm. countdown game of thrones we're at the end before the beginning of the new season the last season <laughs> which is also an end we're to quote another major thing that's ending uh this month we're in the end game now um yeah so here it is uh we are here to discuss what we have decided between us is the most essential and important episode of game of thrones it's season six episode 10 the winds of winter written by weiss and benioff directed by my favorite game of thrones director miguel sapochnik um we will be chatting a little bit about you know we'll give out some awards we'll chat about why the episode's important we have an interview with composer ramin javadi uh who is responsible for like the a lot of the power in the opening of this episode. Um, but before we get to all that, let us just really quickly remind you, this is Sunday. The premiere of Game of Thrones drops tonight on HBO. If you want to read everything that we wrote about what happened on Game of Thrones tonight, you're going to want to go to VanityFair.com slash Thrones, enter promo code Thrones, and make sure you are a subscriber. $7.50 whole year digital print vanityfair.com slash thrones promo code thrones tote bag all the access to all the content we do not want to paywall between you and our game of thrones coverage this year richard why do you think people should plunk down their hard-earned seven dollars and fifty cents for this vanity fair subscription well i feel like in the last episode i sort of threatened like dragon fire but and I don't want to do anything like that kind of menacing again. But I'm just going to say, Joanna and I have a lot of barrels full of a mysterious green substance that, you know, might could uh, could do something bad if you don't subscribe to VF. 
Uh, it might could. Wow. So that's two, uh, two episodes in a row where we've threatened to burn people if they don't give our employers money. Uh, so I'm sure we are going to be employees of the month. Uh, no problem. But anyway, yeah, go to vanityfair.com slash thrones, promo code thrones. Um, I do not think you will, I, bl- I guarantee you, you will get your money's worth for at the very least, um, these next few weeks. But also, like, we have great stuff on our website all the time. We've got a great politics section, a great Hollywood section, some fun style stuff. So you're really going to want to go. VF.com. All right. We're going to have stuff from Can. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot. I'm really excited for all your Can coverage, as I always am. Um, and, also, really quickly, uh, if you want all of our Game of Thrones stuff distilled into a newsletter, we're we're doing a Thrones newsletter this year called the Westeros Update. Uh, so you can go to westerosupdate.com and drop your email in there to sign up. And it just means you'll get all the stuff delivered to your email inbox on Monday. And that, you know, that way you can just make sure you've caught everything. You don't have to click around. It'll just be right there for you. So Westeros Update, westerosupdate.com for all the latest. Um Okay, here we go. My job that I've always set for myself in these episodes is to recap these episodes of Game of Thrones with 15 words or less. I've only got two words for you this week, Richard. It is boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. That's it. That's this episode. Um, (laughs) Then we're going to roll to maybe the most obvious MVP that has ever obviously MVP'd uh, in an episode of Game of Thrones, which is my pick for obvious MVP of this episode, Cersei Lannister. Richard, who do you got? Mine is the High Sparrow. No, I'm kidding. It's Cersei. Of course it's Cersei. (laughs) Obviously it's Cersei. She's the MVP of the whole series because of this episode. (laughs) Did, um, uh, can I share the, like, what you texted me last night when you were watching this? Yes, please. <laughs> Richard was like, I've watched, I've watched Cersei blow up the set like 500 times, um, sept 500 times, but I'm still cackling like a maniac watching it this time. <laughs> so good. I'm just like, it was just like, I mean, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, <laughs> I was just like screaming at the TV and now I'm laughing. It's just like, it's the most satisfying thing. And, you know, m- uh, partly be, well, in large part because Pachnik builds up to it so wonderfully with the uh. music and, you know, just the momentum. It's just one of the best payoffs um, in recent TV memory. I love it. Um, and, you know, even though, like, characters we love, I mean, like, at least, I mean, I love Marjorie. So, you know, mm-hmm. like, RIP R- R- Marjorie Tyrell. But um, this is it for her. Okay. So then we want to do our sneaky MVP. I'm going to give it uh, to King Tom and Baratheon, first of his name, as far as I'm concerned, for, like, you know, he kind of went out like a chump, but he went out in, like, one of the most memorable deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly, and there's, I mean, this isn't just for Tommen, but um, it's for the directing decision, whether it was Mikkel's choice or in the script, I don't know, but um, the camera just, like, basically, you see Tommen, he's got his crown on, uh, he's in shot, and he's framed by, by the window that looks out on King's Landing, and then he just walks out of frame, you can hear him set his crown down out of frame, and then he just walks back in frame and, and goes out of the window, but the camera never moves. And it's just like, it's such a stunning, and then he just sort of like dead drops, you know? It's just like a, right. it's not a leap, it's just like a a fall, and it's uh, it's incredible. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to happen that way in the books, only because Tommen is like much younger in the books. So I really much don't think younger. we're going to have this like little toddler, and I don't, you know, I don't know if this like Sept explosion happens. We do know that um, 
like in the book, Cersei burns the Tower of the Hands. She burns something in the books, but I don't know if all of this is going to happen. And we'll talk about that. Like if the, if this is a big departure from the book, um, why that feels important to the identity of the series at this point. Who is your sneaky MVP of this episode, Richard? I don't know the, his name, but that sneaky little kid who who uh, <laughs> gets Lancel down into the the crypt or whatever. Um, I'm just, I just, I just love how his little plan worked so well. <laughs> yes, I love that. Uh, so then this is the part of the episode where we, uh, do impressions of actors on the show. Uh, it's been our, our most popular bit because people are like, wow, guys, <laughs> your impressions are dead on. We love when you do those. Um, anyway, so we're going to pick a line from the episode, do an impression. Here's mine. Uh, goes like this. Let the grown women talk, uh, which is the bamf of them all. Elena Torrell, back from the dead. Like the last time we talked, uh, she was dead on the show. But hey, she's back. Yay. Elena Tyrell, uh, like uh, shit talking the Sand Snakes is a pretty delicious part of this episode. Uh, what do you got, Richard? Mine is simple. It's just there's something wrong. I, I love Natalie Dormer as her yes. mounting fear. And she's the only one who's like, guys, guys, this is not good. This is not good. It's yeah. so, it's so well done. She's, it's a great way for uh, her to go out. Yeah. I, I was said this on Twitter and I rewatched it recently that like, I actually almost wish she had gotten, you know, because like Marjorie's this political player all the way through. She rarely loses her cool. She's always scheming. Even this like whole season where she has to like pretend that she gives a shit about religion. Um, she has to wear these dowdy dresses and her hair is like super like plain and she hates all of it. I'm sure because she'd rather be showing off her midriff and flirting and whatever. Uh, but she's done all of it dutifully in order to win the game. And then she's, like this thing is happening and I just wish we had seen her like go bananas in that scene almost. Do you know what I mean? Like fully mm-hmm. let the mask slip and really go for it. But what she's given to Natalie Dormer, great throughout the series. So what she's given to do in that, in that episode, I mean, that scene is just, it's good. Yeah. When she says something like, fuck the gods or whatever, we have to leave, you know, and she, yeah. and, and like the, the people are like, huh? And it's like, no, she's been pretending this whole time, you idiots. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, yeah, the high spirit was like, um, what now? She's like, old man, get out the, get the fuck out of my way. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, then this is, this is a tough part because this is the, this is the best dressed. And, um, actually what happened in, what's interesting is what happened in season six. Um, and I think we talked about this earlier. What happened in season six is uh, costume designer Michelle Clapton like left for a bit and someone else took over. And with all due respect to that person, they just did not have the same eye for Game of Thrones as Michelle Clapton does. So you get weird stuff like Masandi wearing palazzo pants and, um, gray room wearing like a deep v and stuff like that it just looks like kind of wrong but she is back in this episode and this episode opens with a dressing montage and every detail you like this is like the glam let's show off the cuffs and the collars and the hems and the buttons and the rings and the everything like it's just it's a it's a fashion episode um but the winner has to be uh, Cersei sitting on the throne at the end because she's wearing this dress that Michelle Clapton designed to look like uh, Tywin Lannister's armor. Uh, our colleague Julie Miller has a great uh, uh, article up about that she did about it like a couple years ago, whenever this aired. Um, that's up on our website uh, where she talks. Michelle Clapton talks about all the detailing that she did to mimic uh, Tywin's armor, and it's really Cersei being like, "Fuck you, I'm in charge." Um, what do you What do you got for me on this front, Richard? Well, it's hard to argue against that. I mean, I think that this is the beginning of, of a new look for Cersei. She's really finally, I mean, she's really fully um, 
rocking the short hair. And do we know if she is she going? Is she staying with short hair in the last season? Yeah, this is it. This is it for yeah, her. So she's found her look. I love that when when you know when you find what works for you, <laughs> you, you, you run with it. Yeah. Um, that said, as a, as a runner up, any episode with Elena Tyrell in it, you, you know, you gotta you know give give it up for her clothing too. It's absolutely yeah. She's got she goes into mourning, and so her like usual like blues or whatever like it's the same outfit that she always wears, but black. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, all right, and then uh, what, what's the last thing we got to do here? We got to do a ship. Okay, so here's here's my deal. I'm still shipping. This is when we pick like two characters or a character and an animate object, whatever it might be that we like really wish would get together. I'm still shipping. Marjorie and Tommen. I want those two crazy kids to work it out. So like like Marjorie's ash pile and Tommen's splatted corpse. Like in those two things. <laughs> May they forever find each Pinky. other somewhere. <laughs> what are what do you got? Can I unship something? Meaning I want to unship the poor guy in, in King's Landing and that big fucking bell that falls on him. <laughs> He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just the, walking the episode, here. <laughs> the episode makes careful effort to like, we see him getting hit. There's like a smear of red. I mean, it's quick, but it's just like, oh man, that's, that's, that's cruel. I always took that as like a, a definite, like, it feels like a different reference to the shame bell, right? It's like, it's mm-hmm. like a callback, you know, it bounces through the same street, basically. So it's a callback to, you know, the last time a, a significant bell went down the street, Cersei was getting fucked over. This is her revenge. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe we'll just assume that that guy who got squished was one of the people yelling at her, throwing things who, at like, her. Who, so. like, spit on her or something, mm-hmm. so... Um, all right, so let's let's zoom through some things that weren't uh, the boom boom. Well, no, actually, let's start let's start with the boom boom. The reason why this episode is so important is not just because the set blows up, which is like a big spectacular thing, but the the opening of this episode, uh, I is like some of the best, like maybe the best ten minutes of TV ever. I don't know. It's I don't want to overstate it. It's it's incredible. Like the. We, we talk so much in these latter episodes about Game of Thrones feeling in a rush, Game of Thrones feeling like it needs to finish, stuff like that. And here it's like, you know what? We're going to take our time. And a lot of this is in the script. Like, you know, credit to Miguel Zapochnik, credit to the score of Ramin Javadi, but credit also to Weiss and Benioff for, like, this is in the script. This, like, slow montage, everyone getting ready. The score is different than we've ever heard it before because there's piano on it. We've never heard that before. So it sounds different. This is one of my favorite pieces of music that Ramin Javadi composed. Um, and then we just see everyone getting ready. And there's even like a little bit of humor. Like you see Cersei getting ready. She looks amazing. Tommen looks amazing. And then you see like the high sparrow put a like a grubby hand through a grubby sleeve. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, even even that guy and Picel. I don't know. It's a whole thing. Anyway, uh, what do you what do you think of this opening, Richard? Yeah, I think it's really well done. I mean, I think it's it's um, it is a big departure stylistically for the show. Yeah. Um, and at the time I remember being like, like watching it in real time and looking on Twitter and tweeting myself and just being like, huh, like Game of Thrones is doing montages now. That's kind of weird, you know? Um, and I think the leftovers was on, not, it wasn't on at the same time, but recently a season had been on or was about to be. And I think there was some comparisons to that, but like, I, I, I like when this show, especially in a later season while advancing the plot in the process, you know, does a little artistry plays with form plays with um soundscape you know i think that's really cool and 
to do this big thing at the beginning of an episode to just throw us in. I think that's really cool subversion of the like big thing at the end kind of style of the show. Um, you know, it just, it feels daring, um, and exciting and is a major development past the text of the books that I think really works and is in keeping with character and a lot of foreshadowing that's been done, you know, because Martin spends a lot of time just kind of hinting at, about wildfire and you're like something really big beyond the, the sea battle is going to mm-hmm. go on with that wildfire. Cause they keep mentioning how much of it is under the sept, you know? So I just think it delivers beautifully and um, is a hell of a way to open an episode of television. Oh, so good. And I, um, I, I agree with you. It's like when we, when we interviewed Fabian Wagner, one of the DPs for the show, he was talking about like there, you don't do a lot camera wise stylistically with Game of Thrones. He's like, it's a fairly standard shot show. You know, it's like, it's like over the shoulder, you know, like one twos, like you don't do canted angles or like, you know, that kind of style is not something Thrones does. And it doesn't, yeah, it just rarely departs from its, uh, structure, which is not a knock on it, but like when it does, then you sit up and pay pay attention. So when it takes the time to do this, which just feels like it belongs in a different show entirely, it's like you're you're riveted. And not only that, it does that. It feels artistically great. It feels thematically great, and then it is efficient for what they need to do which is start knocking players off the board. Like this is something mm-hmm. that Game of Thrones just does from, you know, season six on out is um, let's clear the decks, clear the decks for the end, you know? And so season seven, I think does it a little more clumsily when you've got like, Oh, all the sand snakes are dead. Or they did it clumsily when they're like, uh, let's kill off Dorn or like, you know, whatever. Like um, it, I meant in, in earlier in season six, when like Alaria and Tyene just like kill the leadership in Dorn and it's done mm-hmm. or, you know, like there's certain times where you're like, I see what you're doing. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel good. I can see the, I can see the, the hinges of the plot here, but this where it's just like, okay, Loris, Marjorie, High Sparrow, Lancel, uh, Pycel, like, you know, Mace, uh, Kevin Lannister, cousin, like, don't forget Uncle Kevin Lannister, like, all this sort of stuff. Like, it's just in one fell swoop and in a way that, you know, it's not just all burning. You've got the, like, the little sparrows stabbing Pycelle, which is so good. And you've got Lancel and, and that whole, like, Lancel slowly crawling towards the candle. Like, oh, it's, it's so good. So good. So, yeah. Guess what? Yeah, it's good. Um, it's. <laughs> I had a couple, one thing I it's funny I was thinking about how it's kind of like um a great season 5 episode of Buffy the Body. Yeah. Uh, where you're like what the hell is this doing? I've never seen the show look or, or sound like this or not sound like this in Buffy's case because there's no music. But um uh it's exciting and it's fun and I you know they didn't they don't really return to this kind of artistic daring I don't think going forward, not in the same way, but I love it as a kind of standalone episode. And also the thing you just mentioned Kevin Lannister and that like rang a, a bell in my head. It doesn't he kind of re- reveal to actually be some sort of a significant character at the end of the last book? Uh, oh, he dies. Question. He dies. He dies at the end of the last book. Yeah. Kyburn oh, shows up. Ver- sorry. Yeah. Varys shows up and shoots him right. with a crossbow. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so all of that happens and that's just part of this episode, but it, you know, oh, and, and Tommen, obviously off the board, you know, like in the septa, I guess off the board. Um, all right. So, uh, so that's, that's all that happens there at King's Landing until like the very end of the episode, Jamie comes back and Cersei is 
crown herself queen. She's like, you know, fuck the, like, <laughs> fuck the, like, line of succession. Fuck all of that. I'm just taking it. I'm taking it. It's mine. Um, you know, because she spends, like, basically, you know, she's queen. Robert dies. She, and then she spends the next few seasons, like, scrambling to get back that power. You know what I mean? Like, it's, and Marjorie is the source of a lot of that tension for her with Joffrey and with Tom and where she's just like, she sees Marjorie as a political player and she's like, I will not be replaced. Like I've, I had sex with Robert Baratheon far too many times in my life to like lose this amount of power that I've earned for myself. It actually, it reminds me of, um, a movie that I loved, which is Natalie Portman and Jackie, which we talk about on little gold men often, I think, but like, uh, that movie contextualized Jackie Jacqueline Onassis in a way that I never understood, which is like, she had ambitions. She strove. Then she became the queen of America and it was like taken from her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Her, like mm-hmm. her queendom. It's like, it's such a fascinating film for what it re- reveals there. Cersei is like more transparent in her ambition for power, but like, this is her just being like, you know what? I'm going to stop playing by the rules, which was like me trying to subtly influence my sons and just like, it's me. It's me now. Deal with it. Here we go. You know? Yeah, totally. And it feels, despite Cersei being something of a villain, it feels completely triumphant. Yeah. Because, you know, she got really horribly abused. Um, you know, for all of her sins, like the walk of atonement, like that nobody deserves that. So, yeah. Um, all right. So let's just hop through a few of other things that happened in this episode. So, I mean, like, I think to recap what we both said, you know, not to just gush some more, but just to say, like, because of this feels like the show feeling itself independent of the books in a way, in a very successful way, in a way that feels important for this period of time when it's no longer, ha- no longer an adaption show. It's a, we're our own thing show, you know? Um, so, okay. So, uh, we've got Sam, Sam and Gilly arrive at Old Town. We, Old Town is sexism makes Gilly wait outside. Sam gets to see the library. It feels like a nice try. And, and this is like a nice uplifting sort of ending for a few characters. And so for Sam to like have this, um, Old Town moment, see all these books, this is what he's been striving for. It doesn't really last long. And like, honestly, the Old Town plot feels like, they sent him there because George R. R. Martin sent him there, but like really they like got him back out of there kind of as quickly as they possibly could. Um, with like, he solved, he cured grayscale and that's about it. Um, and then we've got, then we've got Arya Stark returning to Westeros, which is huge and having her revenge on House Frey. What did you think of this? Like Arya assassination thing? Oh, I think it's also really well done. You know, um, it's, it's satisfying. Uh, we get to see Frey do one last kind of bit of, you know, grotesquery. Um, we, it, it's, you know, it's the payoff for all of the many, you know, episodes where Arya's been off, you know, training and not in Westeros. And, you know, the show wasn't spinning its wheels with her, I don't think, but like, it's nice to see the, the sort of results of all that. Absolutely. Um, we get, um, a similar triumph for for John in that he's uh, declared king of the north. Um, so you know it's like Arya's on the rise. I mean, it's dark that she's like knocking names off her list, but like Arya's getting what she wants. Sam's getting what he wants. John's getting what, what he wants. Well, he doesn't really care about being king of the north, but like you know he's getting he's getting the the house to rally behind him. And this feels like you know and. and 
Bran and Mira are coming home. They're getting close to the wall. And so, you know, something that we've had to reckon with as we rewatch this is like the fact that the season five is the low point for everyone. <laughs> and then pretty quickly in season six, they're like, what if some wins though? <laughs> you know? So like, mm-hmm. let's go back on the up and up. Sansa and John are back in Winterfell. Arya's back home. Uh, and then the big thing, of course, uh, it, it, two big things. One, we get like the quote unquote reveal of Johnson's parentage, even though most people knew what that was all about. But like in the flashback form, we get the sort of confirmation that Jon Snow is not Ned Stark's bastard, but rather Lyanna Stark's son, um, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a really big deal because it, you know, yes, everyone sort of knew it, but like it is the show confirming something that as of yet, George R. R. Martin has not told us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I think that that's, and I think it's well done. I know that, you know, we, we talked earlier in an earlier episode about liking the brand sort of astral traveling stuff. And I, I think, yeah. I think it's done well. Yeah. It's a hard task for them to get, get casual viewers to understand even who Leona Stark is, you know what I mean? Right. Like that's so tough. Uh, and so I think they do it really well. It feels very clear. Um, and yeah, so then all of that happens. And then of course there's this like huge gathering of forces. You've got the Ironborn are, have pledged to team Daenerys. You've got um, the Dornish, um, you've got the Tyrells, you've got Varys, you've got Tyrion, you've got the Dothraki are on boats, even though they hate boats. And then you've got this like crazy final shot, um, where I think, uh, Ramin Javadi like combined five different themes to like one mega theme. And you just see this incredible force in three dragons and Daenerys at the prow of the ship going home. Like this is what we've been waiting six season for. Daenerys comes back to Westeros and, um, yeah, it's just, ah, I love this episode. I think it's so good. Mm-hmm. The chickens um, are coming to roost. You know, Arya's back to Danny's coming back. Cersei's back on the throne. There's a Stark as the King of the North again. You know, it's just all sort of like, um, resettling after a lot of tumult. And I think that that, that, that kind of, even if we're not, um, a hundred percent, uh, aware of that, like, or conscious of that, like, there's a subconscious reaction to things kind of reordering to a familiar shape. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, it's, um, it's not that, like, I love it because everyone feels like they're winning. Because like that's you know I don't I don't need that for a good episode of Game of Thrones you know like I love the Red Wedding I love Baylor I love like I love these things that are super well done but also really hard to watch Hard Home is so good even though John like really fully loses that particular skirmish so it's not that I need like a happy ending for everyone um, I just think like this is such a good example of a thematic. Um, uh, like well earned moment for all these people, and uh, once again, just the show really leaning into its own power. Just like much like Cersei's, like "fuck you, I'm in charge." This really feels like the show saying, "like fuck you, we're in charge." Um, not in a shitty way, but just sort of like you know, this is it, this is us. Uh, we got this, and like our, you know, Richard, you and I, our mileage may vary on season seven whether or not they did actually got this, but you know, it's um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's something that I, it's a real high point creatively for the showrunners independent of the book. So that's why it's our. It's not my favorite episode of Game of Thrones, but it feels like the most important episode for that reason. Yeah, it's a uh, it's 
it's a pretty bold assertion of several things, you know, mm-hmm. and it's done successfully. So, um, I think it doesn't represent, yeah, my favorite storylines in Game of Thrones or anything, but like, it's the most the show is ever the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And, uh, it's, it's really, really tremendous. All right. Is there anything else we want to say about this episode? Just boom, boom. <laughs> uh, boom, boom. It is. All right. So like, stay tuned for our, uh, interview with composer Ramin Javadi. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show. Love to see it. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Ramin Javadi, thank you so much for joining us. We wanted to talk about The Winds of Winter to start off, um, this incredible opening music of the episode. It begins with a lot of silence and these bells. And I was wondering if you could talk about the bells that kick off this, the light of the seven piece. Uh, that, that whole scene is a very interesting scene. It's a very long scene. There's not a lot of dialogue. And um, normally when I work on the show, I, I work in sequential order, meaning I start with episode one and work my way through. Um, however, in that particular, in the season six, when um, when I met with David and Dan, they said, look, I mean, we have this scene coming up in episode uh, 10 we want you to have a look at. And, um, and then the whole, the whole discussion about we need a different theme, what about different instrumentation started up, and then the, the, the idea of the piano uh, came up. And... Um, uh, yeah, we just felt that a, a different instrument could really already trigger something for the viewer. And and the piano was interesting because in six seasons of Game of Thrones music, we had never really used the piano as an instrument. It was just not part of the sound palette for the show. And um, so we uh, we exper- started experimenting with the piano. We felt, we felt that that could be um, an, an interesting thing. So not only do we, is it a new theme, but also a, you know, a new instrument itself. So, and, and like you said, with the space in the beginning, that when that piano plays and these, these arpeggiated chords, and then there's these long gaps and it, it just raises the question right away, of, you know, what's going on here. And it, and it slowly unravels throughout the scene. I think the scene is I've forgotten. It's seven minutes long or nine minutes long. So it's a very long piece that has to build over time. And when, when that piece, you knew you were creating something different, something somewhat special, but when that piece went over the way it did, when there was such a huge reaction, not just to the sequence, but to the music itself, um, did that take you by surprise? For sure. I mean, it always, you know, any response takes me by surprise because I never really think about that aspect. You know, I always try to do what, what we feel is best for the scene. And, you know, just, so it was, uh, it, it was an experiment that it was great to see that it paid off because, uh, again, this idea of this new instrument um, coming out of nowhere. Um, and I have to be honest, we even got cold feet uh, at some point and we thought, are we taking it too far with the piano? So I actually tried the same piece with different instrumentation with, with harp, uh, celeste, which is a similar kind of uh, 
the notes kind of have a similar sound where it sustains, you know, the, the, it has an attack and then it sustains. But we always came back to the piano and we just felt that that was the right approach. So, uh, yeah, there was no way of knowing how the audience would pick up on that and how they would react. But it was incredible to see that it was so well received and, and, and liked. It was uh, really, really great. I was so amazed when I was digging back through some of the you know, information about the music you've written over the seasons, uh, to discover certain things like the fact that the first time we hear, um, the reigns of Castamere, I believe, is when Tyrion is whistling part of it at the very first episode of the second season. So when you do stuff like that, when you seed in themes that are going to be more important later, like when Dan and David talked to you about writing the reigns of Castamere, the music for that, did you did they lay out the entire significance of that piece for you? Uh, exactly. That that's a perfect example. I mean, the, I wrote Grains of Castamere in between seasons. I didn't even have any footage. And um, uh, funny enough, I have to admit, I I uh, when I started the show, I had not read the books, and I still haven't read them. I, my plan <laughs> is to read them once the show is over. So I did not know about um, the Red Wedding and everything. And, and so they, they're, they've always been incredible in, in guiding me and telling me, okay, this is going to end up here. And, and so uh, when they were shooting season two, they called me up and said, here are some lyrics from the books. And um, we want you to write this melody that will become the Lannister theme. And we will start planting this new theme in season two. And that ultimately will lead them uh, to the Red Wedding. And when that melody plays at the wedding, uh, the audience, um, you know, we will know this is the Lannister theme. It doesn't belong in this place. There's something off. And, and so, uh, yeah, they're really incredible in guiding me along this, this very complex uh, storytelling. And, and music is obviously a big part of the storytelling. So it's very important that we, the way we manipulate the themes and, uh, and, and, and write the music, it, it really can, it can, put the viewer in, in in the right direction or the wrong direction. You know, that's, it's, a, it's part of the storytelling. It's very important in this, in this show. Can you think of an example? Has there ever been a theme that you've written that you and David have collaborated on, but when you laid it over the footage, you were just like, nope, this isn't right. And let's go back to the drawing board on this one. Yeah. One, uh, the one that comes to mind was actually one of the more recent one, which was the, um, uh, Danny, and John love theme in season seven that I actually had written a different melody and it just didn't, it just didn't feel right. And the, the tricky part about that melody was that it, it, we needed to establish it early, but without kind of giving their, um, their romance away right away. So it had to be a theme that can play more neutral and then really open, open up and really become romantic later on. And the, the first version that I'd written, it just, um, just didn't, didn't feel right. And, uh, and actually, Interesting. Many times, I even before I even present something to David and I sometimes write something and even just trash it before I even play it to them. So I go through that process myself. Um, but uh, but yeah, with this particular theme, we, we just said, you know, let's let's try something else. And I'm glad we did because this, the theme we now ended up with is definitely I feel like is the right choice. Oh, it's a great theme. Will you ever release those uh, drafts of the John and Denny theme that might have been, or other versions? Um, probably not. In fact, I might have. I, I tend to actually destroy <laughs> uh, things when I don't use them. I sometimes destroy them, so I I, I would have to dig up if, if I still have it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just discussing um, recently the episode 
the season three episode, Kiss by Fire, I was talking to Brian Cogman about it. And what was funny is he was rewatching it and he said, this is the first time I ever noticed that the Greyjoy theme plays here, plays when Rob beheads uh, Car Stark or something like that. When these little motifs come up in an episode, like what, what kind of discussions do you have around that? Like, you know, I'm not going to ask you to remember necessarily something you scored many, many years ago, but like if a tiny light motif of a, a house comes up playing over maybe a different character, a character who doesn't belong to that house. Um, what do you feel like Dan and David are trying, or you are trying to accomplish there? We really try to link, links, uh, link, link up themes with, with plots and characters and, and action. So it, yeah, there's definitely crossover sometimes. So I think with this particular scene, I think it's just because from season two, there was the, uh, was it now season two? I think. Yeah, was, the Theon when, beheading. Uh, that's when we got the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's when we had the the Greyjoy theme, and so that same kind of beheading um, event, I guess you can say, we we felt it it was it would be a good idea to to, to draw from that from season two, just to to show like a similar kind of the rage and the behavior, and then just the actions of what's happening on screen. Um, so it's uh, those are little fun things you can do with the music where you, you cross over like that. Yeah. Musicologists must have a little leg up on the rest of us in terms of connecting some of the themes. Uh, I'm, I'm sometimes bad at picking out um, the little motifs that you put in there. Um, there is one theme that um, I believe it's called the old gods and the new that sort of started associated with Catelyn Stark and then became associated with Brienne. Um, so, you know, I believe that's correct. So when a theme hops a character like that, um, are you trying to make connective tissue between two characters? Or is it like, I really love this particular theme. Catelyn is no longer here. Let's give this to Brienne instead. Or, or you know, is it practical or thematic or both? It can be a little bit of both. I mean, we always try to really have it make sense. Um, like the, like we had this other theme, for example, the, um, the, what we call the conspiracy theme. And then it kind of ended up becoming the, the little finger theme just because he was always the one in the background <laughs> pulling the strings. Right. Um, but initially it really kind of started out more as an overall, whenever there was something that felt like, Oh, a conspiracy is something that's, you know, off or cheating or, you know, lying, then that would be the appropriate theme. But it really then became little fingers theme because he was many times he was the one behind it. So yeah, it, it, it sometimes can jump, but we always, try to have a reason for that. One thing that I read that I thought was so interesting is that you, when you think about composing music, you think in terms of color. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm very inspired by visuals and, and it, it, it's the phenomena for me when I write, I, I, uh, the colors transfer into notes to me and it's very hard to describe because it's not, because there's so many different colors and obviously then I combine, it's like painting to me and I can't paint. So I guess I use music to to paint paint with colors. So it's uh, um, where it comes from. I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I thought the when I was a kid, I learned the notes on the piano with they had colors on them. But I actually looked up the uh, my parents' house. I've, I found one of the original books that I learned from with the colors in it, and they, those colors don't match what I see the notes in. So I'm not sure where it comes from. <laughs> Um, but, but it's definitely, it's always there. Yeah. It's always there. Well, when you were talking about it in the past, you, you said something about how the North of the wall has a great blue tone and Daenerys in the desert has a yellow tone. 
is there a challenge in these final seasons when everyone's in the similar place and it's winter all the time and everything's kind of bluey gray? Does that challenge you in terms of creating those differences in tone musically? Uh, no, not really. First of all, they're established and then it, it, um, it, it really kind of goes beyond the, the, the location too, because it's even the, the characters, uh, the, the costumes and everything like Melisandre, the red dress or, or, um, Daenerys in one season had a, a blue dress. You know, it's, it's even those details within, uh, you know, it's not just the overall like blue tone of the North, you know, with the snow and, and everything and, and the ice. It's, it's really everything around it too. And there's, in the show, there's so much color. It, it all triggers something. Um, so yeah, there's always, I feel like there's always something I draw from. Can you think of a the theme that was the hardest for you to crack? Was it this John and Danny theme from season seven, or is there another one that proved uh, more difficult for you? That was definitely one of them, and um, another one might have been actually the the uh, the Daenerys theme itself, because this was also something that I uh, I heavily relied on David and Dan. Uh, because when I started the show, I'd only seen the first two episodes, and I, I I couldn't tell, you know, what would become out of Daenerys. I just thought she's this, you know, I I, I just couldn't see that she would become this powerful. And um, and so David and Dan said, like, no, no, I mean, whatever you do for her, we we got to be able to make it big eventually, because you know the dragons and this. And so they they told me, and then I thought, okay, I gotta I gotta make sure that I can whatever I write, I, it has to be that. So that took me a little bit to get right. Because, just because it just wasn't in front of me just yet. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, speaking of the Daenerys theme, it seems like one of the biggest crescendos for the show musically came at the end of season six, this closing um, instrumentation that has the Daenerys theme, the Greyjoy theme, the Unsullied, the dragons, the main title, all sort of you know, occupying the same space musically um, as Daenerys's armada uh, comes to Westeros. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that is such an ambitious, I think it's such an ambitious thing to do to put all those together. It all works musically. It doesn't sound like jangling or too busy. Um, do you think that's as ambitious as the show is ever going to get? Or do you have something even more ambitious than that uh, in store for us uh, in season eight? I think at the, at the time it, it just felt like something that I, 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 you know, I just conceptually thought it could be fun to do. And, um, just because it was the season finale and, and like I said earlier, when we have character overlapping and plot overlapping, we have choices with themes and, and usually we just go for one of them. However, just because this was the finale and it, it was just so exciting. Um, I just thought, let me just try and see if I, if I can, uh, you know, figure this out. So does that mean we will always try and do that moving forward? Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I think it's hard to top this, the main theme, which just has been covered in every conceivable way and every conceivable style. But it, do you have like a pet favorite um, theme, whether it's the main theme or any other, other one that you've composed for Game of Thrones? Um, no, I probably would say it's the main theme. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, yeah, just because it, it captures the overall show, uh, it, I always get excited when we get to use it because we don't use it that often. Yeah, and um, 
so it's uh, it's it's nice to draw from it when we decide. Okay, now let's plant a little bit of the main title theme in here. It's it's always fun. Do you have have you heard a a cover version of it that you know particularly tickled your fancy? Something that you were like, oh, I never thought I would hear a mariachi version of this or something like that. <laughs> um, I mean, I've I've heard some crazy ones. I mean, there was one with uh, that was done with digital hard drives. Uh, that that was just insane. Just like beeping. Uh, so could, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like. Burr, 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 burr. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it was really creative. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to see how how creative people get out there. And is there is there a theme that you feel like? Um, I I don't know how to how to say this exactly. Maybe like underrated, like a theme that you think people should go and take another listen to because you're especially proud of it and it didn't maybe stick out the way that you thought it might. Um, yeah, actually, you know, there's one that comes to mind, It's which it's, I call the honor theme, which um, we've used when, uh, usually when people, like there's, like there's a scene when, I've forgotten where it was, like with Jamie and Brian when like, I think she hands him a sword or he hands her a sword, like there's this, or when people give an um, give an oath and say, "I will do this," like that, it's, it's yeah, it's this honor, and and we use that theme. So it doesn't get used that often, but uh, it's actually a theme I I really like, and and I like when it comes up. Once again, I know we want to preserve the mystery and the secret for everyone, but is there anything you can say, <laughs> uh, even vaguely uh, thematically about about the music in season eight, or anything? that you can tell uh, viewers to sort of keep their ears open for um, throughout the season? Um, well, I don't know how to, yeah, it's, it's hard to answer, but I guess I can say it's definitely, um, it's been interesting to re or reuse or, or develop existing scenes and, and, you know, and, and, write them for scenes as they, you know, where they belong. And, but then also there will definitely be new material also that we have not heard yet before. So it'll be a little bit of both again. And, and that's something we've done every season where we develop existing themes, but then bring in something new. So we'll definitely uh, have it one more time for this last <laughs> season as well. It's, gonna, it's, it's quite, it's quite exciting. I have to say. Um, is I, I imagine there's you know uh, a lot of opportunity, especially in this final season, of blending various house themes because everyone is sort of coming together in this final season, and so um, the opportunity to hear what a certain house theme might sound laid over another house theme does that feel vague enough to address at all for the final? Season? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, I guess what I can say is it's just that it's more than than ever in, in the season is that we really have, uh, because especially early on, we would sometimes discuss scenes and we would say, well, we can use this house theme or this theme. And, and then we would, um, you know, make a decision in this last season, definitely more than ever. We have many choices of <laughs> which themes <laughs> to play and, and what to do. So that's, um, and, but yeah, you have to, you have to make a decision and, and then go with it. But yeah, definitely there have been, have been choices to make for sure. Yeah, and the other the other question I wanted to ask you, and this is not uh, thankfully about season eight, so you can breathe easier. Is um, the um, I've I've 
talked to some of the people who do sound on the show in the past, and they've discussed the way in which it can be a sort of back and forth in terms of the various sound laying over. I'm thinking specifically of the dragons, but like the various sounds of war, of dragons, of whatever it might be that has to go into the show and how it might be sometimes competing for space with your score. Um, what is that like balancing those two um, aspects of the show? Yeah, that's something that's definitely uh, always in discussion, and it's just very hard to do simply for the fact that when um, uh, when we're in post, that both those things happen at the same time. The the sound gets finalized while I write the music, so many times it, it doesn't even come together until the very end with the final mix. But um, I feel like that the show manages it really well, and what we try to do is, um, uh, especially with with specific. Uh, scenes where it becomes obvious that there could be that, that there will be a collision between the two, uh, like for example in um, the Battle of the Bastards, there was such a big battle, and obviously that's a ton of noise and, and action and swords and, and horses and everything. So there we uh, we always try to um, to to get to that early. I um, if I can, if it's if it's written, I will actually provide my demos to the sound department so they can kind of shape around that and, and then it comes actually back to me then I, I sometimes get um, sounds from them that I can write to and then um, and so it's just a little bit of a back and forth so that it gets balanced out and then ultimately decisions have to be made on the uh, on the final dub stage when really everything comes together and, and, and then it's a give and take when you have to decide okay do we want music to push a bit more do we want music out many times um, I've written music uh, I've written more music than what ends up in the show because of the sound effects that we just decide, okay, this is just clashing right now. Let's just take the music out. It doesn't need it. The sound is plentiful and there's the music for three minutes or four minutes going. So let's just take it out. So those decisions many times get made at the end and, and really can't be made before. Right. Uh, so I usually try to override and then it's always better. It's always easier to mute than to go, oh, you know what? We need a piece of music here. We, we need something tomorrow. We haven't written anything. So. Right. It's usually the other way. It's it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, and throne and thrones more than a lot of other shows and even films. I think feels comfortable in its silences. Like it's a show that uses silence as well, and that's why I, one of the reasons I think why your score stands out so beautifully is that it it's not you know every single frame. There's a score. It's like it'll cut out, and then when when it comes in, then we're paying attention because it feels meaningful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I absolutely agree. And 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 like I said. Many times, we even in in our early review of the of the episodes, we'll say, "Oh, let's have a piece of music here," and then later say, "Well, do we actually need it?" And then it just we'll just take it out. And, uh, and I'll be the first one to admit to that's like you know it doesn't need it, you know. But if I say it before, then it sounds like I'm lazy and I don't want to write the piece, <laughs> so I rather write it, and then we can we can take it out later. Um, and I'm trying to recall, uh, you know, there's there's a a sort of um descending sound um that happens right before the dragons breathe fire is that a sound effect or a score um sort of flourish no that's score that's score that's, yeah that's a score flourish and that, that's kind of that's my version of a when on the on the, when you go on the electric guitar and you just kind of slide your hand down it's, it's that kind of a <laughs> oh here it comes and here's the fire so yeah. that's that's the the, the Game of Thrones version of of, of the sliding guitar. <laughs> when when did you when did you first use it? Do you remember? Yeah, we used it the first time actually when the the dragons uh, 
uh, spew fire. It's it's when Daenerys um, uh, kind of turns it around and um, and gets the unsullied. Right. And uh, that that whole twist, and that's the first time when she uh, when when she when she says Dracarys, and then and then the, the dragon spews fire. That's that's the first time we use it. So we've had it since the very beginning. And did um. Did Dan and David say, like, give me a slide down of guitar? What What did they say to say to <laughs> to commission that piece? Um, yeah, no, I think that's just something I I provided. I just I, that's something I just wrote, and and uh, everybody was was into that. That 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 was something that was not specifically discussed. <laughs> um, uh, so, and and that's another good example of how our collaboration works. We'll talk through a scene. They'll give specific points, um, but then they also give me a lot of freedom to, um, to to walk in with with stuff and and um, and then and then we tweak and you know see what works. So, but yeah, that was that was something that I come up with. I know you have certain um, fun instrument kind of rules or or principles that you stuck to. Like <laughs> you mentioned that um, the piano that you used in The Light of the Seven sticks out because you hadn't used piano or the organ there. Um, and also this no flute rule because it sounds too much like, I don't know, the Lord of the Rings score or whatever it may be. Um, are there any, can we expect any new instruments that we haven't heard before um, in the final season? Feel like we're, at this point we've used them all. <laughs> so, I don't know if uh, if there's anything. Um, can't yeah, I can't think of anything right now. Okay, not sure. Okay, <laughs> and then the um, my last two questions are these. And thank you again for your time. Um, the was the last piece of music that you wrote, or I guess I guess I should ask, are you done writing the music? For season eight, there's definitely still some tweaking going on. Okay. Let, me, let me say it this way, yeah. So it's not it's not completely final. <laughs> okay, but uh, you're done with like the major, you know, the m- majority yeah. of the scoring mm-hmm. is done. Was yeah. the last yeah. major piece of music you wrote was that um, a final piece of the season, or just uh, something that had to do with a an ep- something that happened earlier in the season? I, I, it's definitely in the later part of the. Of of the of the season, I can I could say that I guess. Okay, okay, and then um, yeah, let's let's all be careful. And then I guess I I just I'm just curious how it felt for you then, even though you're still doing some tweaking. How did it feel for you, Ramin Javadi, to uh, finish your last major piece of music for this project that has been such a big part of your life for so long? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, it's. Um, because it's been it was such an amazing ride, and and it it was, I mean, the, the whole season actually, not even the last piece, but the whole season has been very emotional, and every scene I touch upon, I I will go, wow, is this the last time I'm going to write this? I'm going to use this theme. I'm going to write this theme, and um, so it's um, it's it's been quite emotional for me actually i have to say it's, uh, it's you know on the, on the one hand i'm just super excited for everybody to see this this last season but it's been um uh i think the drop for me will be even more i think once the once the show is on air and then maybe off the air because there's still right now the excitement of i want you know i can't wait for the world to see what's to come but i think after that i think it will really be the the depression will set in i think oh no <laughs> 
Uh, well, well, maybe, maybe Silver Lining will be a relief to not be one of very few people on the planet to know all these Game of Thrones secrets, to no longer be a secret keeper, uh, for Game of Thrones. Uh, definitely. I mean, I'm very good in keeping secrets. I, you know, I'm a strong believer that people should, you know, see it all when it's, when it's out there on, on the air. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it'll be nice to actually be able to discuss how how this show ended with everybody because it's, it's, yeah, it'll just be it'll be it'll just be fun to have these discussions and, and share with everybody their opinions and everything. So yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Indulge me. Indulge me. One more <laughs> question. And once again, if you can't answer it, that's fine. If you had one word to describe the like the last music we hear. Um, of the season, can you give us a word that you don't think will spoil the experience for people? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not sure if I can actually. Because okay. I know people that di- di- they dissect everything so much. <laughs> I rather, I ju- I'd rather just uh, let people be surprised. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm All sorry. right. No, no, yeah. no. I appreciate it. Well, thank yeah. you, thank you again so much for your time and all your work over the years. It's it's meant a lot to me and to a lot of people. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. My my pleasure. So that 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 does it. That wraps up our rewatch. Now our rewatch has ended. Richard, we did it. <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> little little uh you know inside baseball i was uh, uh to our for our listeners i was like a little bit reluctant to dive into a really you know watch intensive um recappy kind of thing um in the lead up to the new season but i'm joanne i'm so happy you convinced me to it has reminded me of my love for the show it's rekindled my interest in the next season i have watched more episodes than i was assigned for this thing oh, uh, which nice. was surprising <laughs> for me um and um enjoyed them i was tweeting i've been tweeting a lot about the show and it's been fun to kind of re-engage with people on that front so yeah i'm super excited for tonight's premiere Tonight's premiere. Yeah, this is this is dropping on Sunday, so let's pretend. Uh yes, tonight the show premieres. No, anyway, um yeah, I feel the same way actually. Like I wanted to do this no matter what because like I just I cover Game of Thrones, so no matter what I wanted to do this, I, there was no one else I wanted to do it with, but also I was also surprised. I think I've said this that like I feel reinvigorated. I'm glad we did this where my original idea was let's do every episode. And Richard and some of our bosses were like, "Joanna, you're crazy." Uh which was probably the right reaction, but doing this where we're like these are high points let's hop through the high points and really remember um when this show was really at its best and when everything was firing on all cylinders so i'm glad we did it um and we're gonna keep doing it we're gonna keep doing still watching through the season we're still gonna have our great interviews uh you know knock on wood and you know we're gonna try to get those episodes to you as quickly as we can after um the episode airs we don't have screeners we can't watch in advance so you know we'll be doing our best we're aiming for mondays uh and we will see what we can do in the meantime until i guess maybe tomorrow richard um (laughs) where can where can people find you they can find me sitting on my couch watching Game of Fucking Thrones and being happy about it. <laughs> and I'll be on, I'll be tweeting definitely at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S, and we'll be writing stuff for VF.com. Joanna, where, where can people find you? 
uh cry no i mean it's <laughs> in a ball weeping um maybe like like uh okay really i'll be more like sam in season seven which is when he's like like cleaning the toilets and scraping the food and like everything looks really awful for him at the citadel but like you just imagine me like cersei sipping her wine on the balcony uh envisioning uh, surveying her her kingdom. I don't know. Imagine me that way. That won't yes. be the reality, but imagine me that way. Or you can find me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. Uh, please do follow Richard during the episodes. I like when Richard live tweets something. It is a joy to behold. So um, you will enjoy this. He'll he'll be traveling though a bit. So you know we'll see we'll see what happens. But um, all right, this is it. We're in the end game now. Final six episodes of Game of Thrones. Let's do see it. you tonight.